Good morning, Waypoint Church. I'm Danny, one of the pastors here, and I, I know that you're probably like, what's going on? This isn't the normal sermon setup. This is a little more, I don't know, talk show-ish or... What, I'm not Ellen or Oprah or I don't even know. I'm not, I don't watch much TV anymore. I don't even know who's the who's the coolest uh, talk show host, Jimmy Fallon. But uh, this morning, um, we're in a series in Romans, and we would be on Ro- the end of Romans 1 going into Romans 2. But we're going to jump ahead to Romans 5, and there's, a, there's intentionality to this, because we're going to hear a testimony about God's faithfulness. And we feel like in the midst of all that's going on and all the just hardship with corona and, and just, just lots of people are suffering and just asking God, God, where are you? God, where are you in all this? And, and we're going to look at Romans 5 and look at this hope that Paul promises comes for those who believe in the gospel and those who are being transformed by the gospel. So we're going to jump ahead to Romans 5, verse 1. And right before this, we hear a lot about Paul just saying that all of us are sinful. All of us deserve God's judgment. The, from the guy who thinks he's the most re- religious to the person who's literally running from God and doing the things against God, we all need to come before God and accept the gift, that this kindness that leads us to repentance, this, this gift that comes in Jesus Christ. So Paul sets all that up. And then in Romans 5, verse 1, he says this, the therefore, in light of all that and the judgment that we deserved and the goodness of the gospel and the goodness of, of God sending Jesus, it says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. And today we're going we're gonna to boast in the hope of the glory of God. And that's going to be part of Rick's testimony. And it says, not only so, but also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Remember, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. This is the same word here. He's saying hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And I'm going to stop here because we're going to hear, what does this mean? Paul a lot of the letter to the Romans is hard to, to decipher. Scholars, you know, struggle with this. What's the actual context in these Roman house churches? And, and but chapter five, this chapter, anybody could just read it. And it's, it's as clear as day what Paul's trying to show us in the gospel. And what does this hope look like? So we're not in today's sermon, it's, I'm not just going to tell you what Paul means. Like I said, this is one of the clearest passages in scripture where you can just read it and just get it. But I want to see, what, what does this hope look like in a family or a person who doesn't know Christ and then they get the hope, but then they're still suffering? Paul's talking about this suffering after they've become believers. So in light of that, we have Rick Martinez here. He's newer to Waypoint. Him and his family started coming here about a year ago. Yeah, about a year ago. So Rick, first question, just introduce yourself and tell us how you got to North Carolina. Because when you hear his accent, you're going to be like, maybe not from rural North Carolina. We'll see. Well, my name is Rick Martinez. About a year ago, my employer closed my office in northern New Jersey and gave me the option to relocate to the Raleigh office. So my wife, Rosa, and I sold our home. We packed our bags and we moved to Chapel Hill 
with our then 10-year-old son, he's now 11, our daughter who's now 16, uh, my son is Danny, my daughter is Daisy, but we also brought with us my parents and my wife's mother, so we're a three-generation family living in Chapel Hill. In three generations under one roof. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you, Rick. And we're so glad to have you as par a part of our Waypoint family. And your kids have been a blessing to the youth min children's ministry and youth ministry. And yeah, we look forward to seeing what God does as you guys continue to grow here in the triangle. Uh, but we got you here this morning because in, in our small group, we're going through and we're asking each person in our small group to share their testimony. Because if you're going to live life with these people, plug for small group. Everybody out there needs to join a small group. And today, after this, you're going to actually find out a way to join small groups uh, during the even during COVID time. So we, we definitely believe in small groups here at Waypoint, and we want to find a way for every person to be a part of, of our small group ministry. But in our small group ministry, Rick actually shared his testimony last week. And as we were thinking about Romans 5 and thinking about what does it mean, this saving grace and this even suffering and hope, and his testimony struck me. So Rick, just share your testimony with us this morning, but I, I want to hear about your childhood. You grew up, you said, not in a Christian home. And then how did your family come to know Jesus and how did you guys end up in America? Because you were born in, in Cuba, in a communist, a communist country. So like Danny said, I was born in Cuba. In, in 59, the revolutionaries overthrew the Cuban government, uh, promising democracy in elections. But instead, Fidel Castro set himself up as an atheistic communist dictator. In an attempt to destroy the church, in the 1960s, the Castro government imprisoned missionaries, ministers, and denominational leaders. However, the wives of church leaders stepped up and filled the void, and other church members uh, stepped up also and filled the void. Uh, the Cuban government also set up prohibitions that are still in place today. In Cuba, it is illegal to hold the worship service in your home, in a public place, to witness for Christ in public to hand out tracts, to knock on strangers' doors and invite them to, cry, uh, to church, or to broadcast Christian programs. I was born to non-Christian families, to non-Christian parents, and there were no Christians in my extended family. I know it seems humanly impossible that the gospel of Christ would reach my family and would reach me, but this is how God did it. I remember when I was five years old, playing and front of the house in the balcony with my brother when we heard bells. And my brother and I got into a heated debate as to where the bells were coming from. And I told him, hey, those are school bells. You better get to school or you're going to be in trouble. Uh, he said, no, it's Sunday. There's no class on Sunday, no school on Sunday. There must be a fire. They must be alerting people. And we got into a heated argument. And I looked and says, I don't see any smoke. You're in trouble. You better get to school. Well, mom heard us arguing, and she came out, and she said, no, these are neither fire bells nor school bells. These are church bells. My brother and I looked at each other, and we looked at mom and said, what's a church? Ma, have we ever been to a church? What's a church? Can you take us to a church? We want to see a church. I don't know, she replied. I'll ask your father and see if we could visit a church next Sunday. You got to understand that as a youth, my mom had attended a Presbyterian church with some friends uh, that would invite her. 
But when she got married, my father, who thought that going to church was a waste of time, let her know that he would have no part of that. And she had a decision to make, and church was not a part of our family life at all. Uh, so she approached him and said, look, the kids are getting up there in age. They're curious. They want to know what a church is like. Uh, I think we should take them to church. My dad said, don't get any crazy ideas. We'll go once so they could see what it's like, uh, but that's it. Don't get any ideas on your head. Well, next Sunday came by, and uh, we didn't go to church. He didn't keep his word. But you know how persistent little kids are, and my brother and I were like, hey, it's Sunday. The day's almost over. You'd say you'd take us to see your church. When are we going? We want to go to church. And we kept pestering them. So finally, my dad agreed. And the following Sunday, we got dressed, and we went to church. Soon as we got there, the church members approached my parents, new faces, and started asking them questions. Hey, where are you from? Are, are you from another church? Did someone invite you? What they were really trying to find out is whether or not we knew Christ. As soon as they realized that we did not, they went and they alerted the pastor. It didn't matter how many hours the pastor had spent praying over that sermon and preparing that sermon, he knew that that would be, might be the only opportunity that our family would ever get to hear the gospel with all the prohibitions in Cuba. So whatever he was going to preach on that day, he had to set it aside. And he had to preach about sin and how it separates us from, Christ, from God about what Christ did on the cross to reunite us with Christ and about the invitation that he gives us to receive Jesus Christ and to be saved. And that's what he preached on that day. Now, I was at the children's sermon, so I've heard this from my parents, but when, when they made the calling that day at the end of the service, to my mom's surprise, my dad went forward and received Christ. It was a new message. He had never heard it before. Parents came to pick us up, and, and uh, the teacher said to my parents, um, I don't know what's going on, but your kids keep asking me that they want to see the bell, and I don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> well, my mom explained. <laughs> Even the Baptist church in Cuba doesn't have a doesn't bell. Doesn't have a bell, and boy, did we feel cheated. Um, <laughs> my, uh, they explained to us, well, no, we don't have a bell. But, but we have other kids, you know, and, and, and I think you'll like it here. And we felt cheated. But despite that, we came back the following Sunday. And, and shortly thereafter, my mom received the Lord as a Lord, uh, Christ as a Lord and Savior. And we began going to church regularly. Um, around that time, I discovered that even as a child, I will be ill-treated for being a Christian. In kindergarten, our teacher was absent, and I remember that an aide came and said, hey, your teacher is out, we can't get a substitute, follow me. So we formed a line, and she took us to one of the oldest, I don't know if it was first or second grade, interrupted the teacher and said, hey, we can't get a substitute for the kindergarten class. Um, the administrator said that, that you're to watch them. So she told us, fine, just take any empty seats, you're interrupting my class, and the rest of you sit with your backs against the wall. Well, there was a little girl in the front sitting with three empty chairs around us, so we all rushed. I did not make it, but we all rushed to get those chairs. But then something happened. 
a little boy behind her got up and pointed and said, don't sit next to her. She's a Christian. It broke out into havoc. Students running around, making faces at her, throwing things at her. In disbelief, I looked up at the authority figure, the teacher, and she must have seen my little eyes because she just turned her back and she allowed the treatment, the persecution of this little first or second grade girl to continue. After a while, she calmed down the class and said, all right, quiet everyone, please. I got to start the class. I took a seat next to her that was still empty. And I wanted to say something, but I couldn't. She wouldn't look up. She had buried her, hand, her face in her hands, and I could see the tears coming down her arms. And I was terrified, not only for her, but for myself, because we had started going to church, and I knew that would be me one day. That was a long school day, and as soon as it was over, I ran home. We lived next door, and I told my mom, and she listened intently, and she did not sugarcoat it. When I was done, she said, she didn't say this will probably never happen to you or may never happen to you. I remember she said, don't worry. When it's your turn and this happens to you, God will give you the strength to deal with it. And you know, as a kindergartner, if mom said that God will give me the strength, then I wasn't worried. God will give me the strength. Didn't worry about it. Um... But God saved me from the public humiliation that Christian children endured. Around that time, the Christian government announced that it, I'm sorry, the, thank you, the non-Christian Cuban government, the atheistic communistic dictatorship announced that it would allow, it would permit Christians, uh, Cubans, not Christians, to apply for permission to immigrate to the United States. My parents discussed and knowing and decided to apply knowing the consequences. All businesses are government owned. So when my dad applied, he was fired from his job. He was blacklisted and he was sent to work in a forced labor camp. Um, we did not know his whereabouts for the longest time until he convinced a farmer to mail a letter where letting us know that he was okay and where he was until they transferred him again. And then we didn't know his whereabouts again um, but something during that time we eventually got permission to leave Cuba but we had no idea where my dad was and they encouraged us to leave without him and he would join later they said but my mom knew that was a lie we had seen it happen to other families in an attempt to punish us for admission that the Cuban communist dictatorship does not work for wanting to emigrate um, we knew that if we left without my dad he would never be allowed to leave so she said, no, we applied together, we leave together as a family. So, so we lost that exit. And when we, we got the other exit, my uncle had some vague ideas where my dad might be. And he traveled to the other side of the island. He hitchhiked on he's a truck driver and he hitchhiked from fellow truck drivers to the other side, found my dad and convinced them with a letter, you know, convinced them to let him go. It took a lot of doing, but they let him go. The chief of police even had to sign off. And, uh, but during that time, government officials visited us in our home in Havana. My mom was there with my brother, my sister, and I. And in ungodly hour, they knock on the door and they... In the middle of the night? In the middle of the night. 
and they uh, insult us, accuse us, you know, tell us that we're um, traitors to the revolution, and as such, we're ordered to leave the premises immediately and can only take a change of clothing. Um, so we were evicted. So my mom takes my four-year-old sister, I was six at the time, and my seven-year-old brother, and we're thrown out on the streets, and fortunately, Grandma lived nearby. So we walked to Grandma's house, where we stayed until my dad joined us. After that, we reported to the government office, where we were transported uh, to a processing site in the middle of the country. Looks a lot like rural North Carolina, except they grow sugarcane. Um, where they processed us, and eventually a bus took us to the airport after a few days. We, we slept, I mean, on the floor or on, on plywood, uh, no mattresses. They had bunk beds, but with plywood uh, mattresses. Um, people helped each other there. We were all in the same situation and tripled up on a bunk to sh allow someone else to get a bunk and not have to sleep on the floor. And we were there until we bus came and called our names, and they took us to the airport. And then we would hear the American propeller flights. It was the Freedom Flights, land in Havana Airport. And uh, they would call names out over the loudspeaker, but our name was not called. So we got inoculations, and we spent the night at the airport uh, sleeping on the floor anywhere we could. Uh, my four-year-old sister started singing church songs in, in the airport. And another family, the Morales, heard us, heard her, and approached us and identified themselves as Christians. So we spent the night in, her, in the airport uh, with the Morales family, and they had older kids that helped to take care of us. And then we said goodbye when the plane landed, and they read our names, and, and we boarded. And, and I'll never forget that flight, in part because I sat next to my mom, and I was thirsty. And I remember telling my mom, I'm thirsty. And she said, suck it up. Nothing we could do about it. And, you know, as a six-year-old, I'm persistent, but I'm thirsty. Well, the stewardess heard me. The American stewardess heard me. And she approached and said, oh, is something the matter? My mom said, no, everything's fine. But as a six-year-old, I said, no, something is the matter. I'm thirsty. <laughs> the stewardess smiled and said, kind of worried. She says, well, we don't have any soft drinks. We don't have any Coca-Cola. All we have is water. I looked at my mom and said, what's Coca-Cola? Oh. Water. I'm thirsty. That's what I want. And she brought me a cup of water. And I never forgot that because that was the first time that someone in uniform had ever treated me nicely. We landed in Miami where we spent a few days. We were processed. The government put us up in the airport. Uh, we were in the best hotel ever. They were army cots, but they had springs and a mattress this thick. And we felt that we were in a hundred star, forget five star, hundred star hotel. Uh, they fed us. They processed us. Uh, they educated us. They gave us Bibles. The American Bible Society, and poor planning, the American Bible Society came by, but all they had was English Bibles. And this is the freedom flights from Cuba. But we took him. We said, no, please, we, we want a Bible. We'll learn English. I mean, we were just, you can't get a Bible in Cuba. So I kept that Bible for many years, even though I didn't understand it. But we cherished it. Um, after they processed us, they, they flew us out to Massachusetts, where an extended family member had claimed us. And we went to live with them. But it was, a, it was a difficult family situation. It was obvious that we really weren't wanted there. 
Uh, my dad called some friends just to let them know that we were in the United States. And a friend in New York named Charity um, told my dad, hey, just come to New York. I'll open my apartment doors, it's tight. You stay with us, don't worry. And we did, we were on a grid. She, she took in all, all five of us. Um, her son slept on the couch, a sofa bed with my brother and I, and my parents slept in uh, the little boy's room in a tiny bed with my sister. And uh, we were there, and my dad quickly got a job. We got an apartment, and we told them we wanted to go to church, and all they knew was a, an American Baptist church. So they took us there. I remember going, and the little kids would raise their hands, and I would raise my hands too, and, and my brother would say, put it down, we don't even know what they're asking. <laughs> you know, but we wanted to be a part of it, and um, one day they couldn't pick us up. And, and you know, that was God at work, because we decided to walk home, and we decided to walk home through a different route than we would, my parents did, we were just following, and we stumbled across this little church, and there's a sign that says, First Baptist, Spanish Baptist Church of Manhattan, Primera Iglesia Bautista Hispana de Manhattan. And my parents were, were overjoyed. We went inside, we went to that church, and who did we find? The Morales family. From the airport? From the airport in Havana, Cuba. Wow. God was at work. Two years earlier, a year earlier, he was at work already in, in Cuba, preparing the way. Um, in that church, I remember in the summer between fourth and fifth grade, I attended a retreat, my first retreat. We slept in tents, it was very rustic. Um, and that's the first time that I understood the gospel message. That's the first time I understood that I'm a sinner, that even I, as a, as a child, I'm a sinner, that my sins separate me from God and what Christ had done on the cross for me. And that day, I remember just going on a path and praying to God as I walked alone, saying, okay, God, I'm gonna receive you. But Lord, I'm going to do it on Sunday because I want to do it in my church. Now, I, I realize that's the day I received Christ, but God honored it. And on Sunday, you know, I don't know what the pastor preached about. It was the longest sermon ever, but I just remember sitting in the back and waiting for him to finish to make that altar call so I could make my, I could publicly receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And when he did, I, I rushed up. And, and I remember there, there was two ladies, one said to the other, well, you look at this. I mean, the pastor surely preached way above his head and look how God's capable of taking even something in the sermon and making a child understand it. I told my mom the story and I don't know if she recalls this, but I told her, Masha, we let her know. And she said, no, let it go. Just let it go. You know, you made it public. Um, and that's what's important. So we started going to that church my dad took on three jobs, and uh, we quickly bought a home in, in New Jersey. Uh, families, it's right across the bridge from where our church was in Manhattan, in New York City, uh, not far from there. Uh, several families had done that, uh, purchased homes. So um, my dad approached them, and he said, you know, I have this home, the basement is not used. What do you guys think if we start a mission? And they started a mission in our basement, my bedroom, my had to be clean all the time because it was a Sunday school class. Wow. We, um, we quickly outgrew that and we approached a Lutheran church that let us use their chapel. Uh, it, it was not a Spanish-speaking community, but it was projected to grow. And the minister had vision. And when we came to him, he said, yes, yes, meet here. It didn't matter that we were Baptists. 
Um, and we met in his chapel and we outgrew that and eventually we bought our own church building. And uh, that's really the story of, of how God saved our family. And Wow. What a powerful testimony. This is my third time to hear it and it still gets me every time. And, and um, just thinking about this passage in Romans where Paul you know, is t telling us about the gospel that saved us. And it talks about this hope and then he said, and this glory, the glory of God, that this hope of glory that we boast in. But he says, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who who has been given to us. And, and I can see that in the, the testimony of your family. Even your uncle was a truck driver, so he was able to hitch rides. He had some credibility with other truck drivers. If he wouldn't have, didn't you say he wore like the uniform? So he was one of them. So he was able to get across the country in a closed communist country where it's hard to go outside of your district. He was able to draw your dad back. It's amazing too, your dad was the first one to run up because it seems like your dad was the one hesitant to go to church and how God had even prepared his heart for that Sunday and the faithfulness. So some of the people in that church would have been in prison or had been harassed along the way, correct? This is toward the beginning of the harassment and the persecution of the... That, that was in the, that, the... It had already been going on for about five, six years. Five, six years. So, yes. so that church was just just trusting God with each moment. They couldn't... They just could meet on Sunday, but they couldn't really do anything else other than just serve the people in their community. Well, praise God for that. Now, what I want you to do is just, you, you've been through a lot and God, you've seen, you've been on both sides. You've also seen God bless your family and grow your family. And, and, but what, what encouragement do you have for us? Because right now there's a lot of people who are suffering. Now, their suffering isn't quite what uh, a Christian in a persecuted country suffers, say North Korea or somewhere like Cuba, but all of us are experiencing something right now with COVID, with just fear of the economy. And sometimes I've heard many people just be like, I wanna trust God, I wanna believe, but, it, but I, it's hard. What hope or encouragement do you have for us? Just, just as God, sh as, a, as a brother in Christ and someone who has this powerful testimony of God saving you and your family, what, what hope do you have? How can you just, what do you want to share with the Waypoint congregation, the hope that you have, and, and just share with them how, how they can look to Christ, even in suffering, and have hope? You know, suffering is not new to the world, and, and God has been working in it throughout it all. You heard in Cuba how it seemed humanly impossible that the message of Christ would reach my family, that they would be saved, that I would be saved, but Christ worked it out. Um, you saw how he let us meet a family that eventually, he, Morales became my grandfather, my adoptive grandfather in, in, in the United States. Because when we left Cuba, we were told, you will never see your family again. And yet God gave me family. And we met him in Cuba. And we left Cuba. And he became my adoptive grandfather. Um, I've seen God at work. Pastor once said to me jokingly, but I think there's a lot of truth in it. Uh, he said, "You know, in the scripture said that uh, Mary would be would give birth in Bethlehem, and she had no reason. She was about to give birth, and she had no reason to be in Bethlehem. 
So God moved the entire ancient world through a census and got married to the place where his word said she needed to be for him to give birth. That was a difficult time, and yet God was doing the most wonderful thing that he has done in all humanity, being born on earth so he could give his life for us. Even in those difficult times, Mary could not see it, but salvation was coming through the difficulties that the entire Roman Empire was undergoing through the census. I seen God's hand at work. When I graduated college, I wanted to give God my first fruits, and, and I got to go to Peru and as, as to fill in for the missionary while he was on furlough and then to work side by side with him. In the journeyman program, a Southern Baptist program, it's a two-year missionary program uh, for college graduates. And, and I, in my heart, I wanted to do more for God, and I prayed for the opportunity, and I think that's the key. My church was praying for me, and I prayed for the opportunity, and that's when God opened my eyes, and I saw the opportunities. Missionary kids were going to an English-speaking school. We started a, a Bible study with the missionaries' sons, and we said, you know what, if you invite your friends, I'll evangelize them. The place was packed. They brought their friends, and their friends brought their friends, and they were hungry for the gospel. Um, I remember taking a bus and, and passing, you know, just seeing this, this gray building, and I asked somebody, what, what is that? And they said, oh, that's where they keep the juvenile delinquents. And my, my heart was broken when I heard that because I had a heart for youth. And I prayed. And, and I knew God, you know, my family was praying for me and I knew, I found out later that somebody in that place was also praying. I knew God wanted me to knock on that door. I didn't know what to do, what to say, but I knocked on the door. I said, God, I remember as I knocked, I said, God, you better know what you're doing because I sure don't. And I knocked, and it was ran by the military government. So, you know, they quickly let me in because Peru had a lot of terrorism. And, of course, there, there was two guns pointed at me the whole time. And, and they said, what do you want? I know what I wanted. So I just said, I'm, I'm a missionary with the Baptist mission. Oh, you want to talk to the director? Okay. And I sat there praying. He says, God, I don't know what I'm going to say. And then I see the director running towards me. And he says, I'm glad you're here. About two years ago, Youth for Christ used to come here and do Bible studies. And there's this young man that gave his life to that religion of you Bible followers, is how he phrased it. He says, but they haven't been back in two years. And he's been pestering me and telling me, when are they coming back? He says, can you start a Bible study here? It was God at work. It wasn't me. I was just scared, willing to be obedient, but I was scared. And we started a Bible study there. With, we got a local church to start a Bible study there. A, a missionary said, Rick, I'm starting a new work. Frank from our church is building a home. He's putting a second floor, and he wants to open it up for a mission. And we need someone to work with the youth. And, and after saying no, I, God just convicted me. And, and I said, Don, Don Robertson of, of Arkansas, my pastor, my missionary, um, I told him, Doyne, I've been praying about it. I'll, I'll go and I'll help out. He says, great, Rick. We're going today to see it. When we took me, and he so showed me the building they were constructed, I asked him, so where are the youth? How many do we have? And he said, Rick, 
you didn't fully understand. This is a brand new mission. There's nobody. You got to go out and get him. I was terrified. I went home that day. I couldn't wait to get home. I fell on my knees and I said, God, what are you doing to me? I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to do this. But God, I said, yes. God, I'm going to prepare a study and it's going to be evangelistic, but you better work it out because I don't know what I'm doing. When I went the following Sunday for the first service, Frank took his little kids, they were grade school kids, his daughter and his two sons, and said, you know Ricky from church, take him to everywhere you know there's a teenager and tell them that your dad said there's going to be a church service today for the youth and that they're invited. Those little kids took me to all the neighbors. They introduced me. Hi, this is Rick from the, he's a Baptist missionary. And all I got to say was, hi, and nervously so. And the kids did all the talking. That day, later on, and the church is at four o'clock, when, when they started coming, and they started going to the second floor where, where Frank was building uh, the, the second floor for, for the church mission, so many youth came that he was afraid the floor would collapse that he told them, stop. And I said, what's going on? He says, there's too many of you. No more. The rest of you, wait in the park across the street. When they're done, they'll go out and you can come in. And we had not one, but two services that day. It wasn't me at work. It was Christ. It was God who said everything to make sure that his word got out. It wasn't Mary at work. It was Christ. It was God setting everything to get Mary where she needed to be. It wasn't the person ringing the bells, you know, plan to get me to church. It was God at work and opening my ears that day. God is at work. I don't know. This COVID time, it's difficult. I don't know how to reach people for Christ in this new way of life. But my eyes are open. My heart is opened. And, and, you know, I think that's the encouragement. We need to ask God to open our eyes, open our hearts, and just show us and give us opportunities to be a part of His work. Amen. Thank you for your... Such encouraging words. And in case you guys go over to the other side of Chapel Hill, you might see Grandpa Martinez roaming any shopping center. And even during COVID, he's wearing his mask, but he'll talk to anybody, right? He And he's yeah. he's still, how old is he now? Yeah, my dad is in his 80s. He's in his 80s, yeah. and he's still, he did it in, in Cuba, he did it in, in, North, in New Jersey, and now he's doing it here. Uh, so praise God for the, the faithfulness and it. And, and thanks, thanks for encouraging us. Uh, will, you, will you pray for Cuba and, and just pray for those persecuted believers around the world? We, we want God, yeah, just your, your powerful prayer to pray for them. Let's, let's join you in prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today to worship you freely, Lord. We thank you for that freedom that we have here, Lord, and we ask you for those who don't share that freedom. We ask you for the persecuted Christians in Cuba, Lord, and in other parts of the world. We ask that you encourage them, that you continue to give them strength, Lord, that they continue to share your gospel. We know you're at work in these places, Lord, and we ask you for our brothers and sisters there. 
But we also ask you for our brothers and sisters here in America, Lord. We know it's difficult. We know there's a lot of adjusting that, that we've been undergoing and that this pandemic seems to last forever. But we know that you're at work, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you use us, that you comfort us, Lord, that you give us the strength to go outside our comfort level and just continue to share your good news of salvation with those around us, Lord. We pray and ask all this in the name of Jesus Christ, thanking you for this church, Lord. Amen. Amen. And to close out, thank you so much, Rick. And we will continue to... Let's, let's be, as a people, let's be in continual prayer for our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering. But also remember that even though their suffering is harder than our suffering, that, you know, a, a brother or sister in prison for their faith is harder than me suffering because, you know, COVID's hard and I, I don't like being isolated from people. But God is still with us in our suffering too. It doesn't, we, we can, we can, under, we can come, cry out to God and say, God, sh- give me grace, give me hope, give me peace right now. And if you need prayer, reach out to us. If, you're, if you are struggling and, and this time has been hard, don't think just because your suffering isn't as hard as someone else's that you don't need the body of Christ around you. So if you need us to, we can come and pray in your yard from a distance and uh, we can pray with you over the phone or over um, one of the video communication portals. But we, we want to be a people who, who encourage each other and build each other up even when times are hard. And we want to look at these stories of hope and remember the, the times. So remember the times in your life when God was faithful because he, he will see us through this and we're going to see the day when we, we look back and say, God, thank you for using this time to build me up for your kingdom. And I'm, I'm going to go back to the end of Romans 1, the passage we looked at last week. And Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And that's us. The gospel saved us, but if you notice, Paul says he's bringing, he, he's coming to Rome to tell them the gospel because we need to keep telling ourselves this good news that saves us and is sustaining us. So let's be people of the gospel. Let's be people who live in this hope, but let's also acknowledge the suffering's real and let's, let's love each other and build each other up as, as, as the body of Christ. So reach out to somebody this week. If God lays upon your heart a name, text that person immediately. If God lays upon your heart, call them. Send them an email. We need to be building each other up and and encouraging each other and and praise God for his faithfulness. Let's pray. God, you are good. We thank you that in the midst of of Romans, over and over again, you bring us back to the good news. You talk about how bad we are and how the judgment that should be poured out upon us, but the, the kindness and the mercy of God that saved us and this, this gospel that's going out and saving others, God, and, lo- and God, may we be agents of that gospel. May we be vessels that, that accept your good news and, and are filled with the Spirit, and we go out and love others, God. Thank you for saving the Martinez family, and thank you for the impact they've had on many, many others, God. And I just pray that one day, I, I look forward to the day when Rick can meet the little girl who weeped at her desk and he can hug her and say, my sister, 
God, be with our brothers and sisters who are suffering and be with us as we trust you with each day. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.